Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, we spend a lot of time in conversation talking about B2C markets and marketing, but there's a quiet revolution underway among B2B marketers. Historically, they've been demand and lead generation operatives who excel closer to the transactional end of the marketing food chain. But that's changing, at least for some. On the mics today is New York-based Mal Furs, head of the B2B Institute, a think tank backed by LinkedIn, and Mal is also LinkedIn's VP for Customer Science. We're going to get a global take on the key areas of focus for B2B marketers this year. They're not always in solidarity on some of the emerging themes and trends. And we'll hear a timely snapshot on sentiment and budgets for this year in B2B marketing. We'll also dive into some of the thinking and practices in B2B marketing science that are starting to permeate the profession. And joining Mel for a regional take on the global themes and sentiment for this year is Duncan Egan, Adobe's APAC and Japan VP of Digital Experience Marketing. He too has some thought-provoking observations. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, let's get cracking, team. Welcome, Mel and Duncan. Mel, let's start with you first with the bigger picture outlook, really, on on what you're seeing globally in B2B marketing over the past 12 months and what might be coming for this year, 2024. B2B marketers, are they more optimistic on budgets uh, and sentiment for 2024 than they were 2023, or are they going the other way? And welcome all the way from New York. Thanks, Paul. Delighted to be here. Uh, well, I think it's fair to say that after a very challenging year, we're actually seeing that optimism is returning to the B2B sector, and we are seeing that budgets look to rise over the next year. So we recently talked to over 2,000 B2B marketing and financial leaders across the globe, and that included 150 leaders in Australia. Uh, and we share those insights in our B2B marketing benchmark report, and what we found is that globally, leaders are starting to see the tides turn. In fact, 64% say that they expect marketing budgets to grow over the coming year. So one of the things that we think is contributing to the optimism is actually the growth that we're seeing for B2B companies. In fact, some of the fastest growing and most profitable companies in the world are B2B companies. That includes brands like ServiceNow, Block and NVIDIA, all of which have a market cap that is actually greater than Nike, Coca-Cola and Ford. So it's promising to see because, of course, B2B companies provide the capabilities that power all of the companies in the world. Great snapshot, Mel. And in your conversations that you're having with global B2B marketers and customers, I guess that's bearing out in the conversations and their action you're seeing. Where is the confidence? Is it sort of linked to certain geo locations or regions or is it across the globe? We're certainly seeing it across the globe. There are some verticals that have been harder hit by the economic conditions. Certainly in some of the tech spaces, for example, we're seeing strong growth across uh, different verticals in Europe, APEC and NEMA. Uh, We're seeing growth in sectors like healthcare as a great example also. Okay. And so just on that, Mel, do you think that B2B marketers then are sort of diverging a little bit from their B2C counterparts? There's still so much conversation about sort of the cost of living crisis and and budgets being cramped, interest rates going up, the the consumer economy is a little more erratic, if you could use that word. Is it different with B2B? And if so, why? I think in the B2B space, um, what we see from an economic standpoint is that there's still a lot more untapped growth potential versus some of the more saturated B2C industries. So if I think about some of the work that Brian Finance has shared recently, 
they actually produce their most valuable B2B brands index. And it says that there is almost one trillion untapped value in B2B companies. And so that's what we're focused on, certainly helping B2B companies unlock. But that's where we think the opportunity is, is that this has been a nascent uh, space for quite some time. And so that is why we're seeing some changes in behavior. Duncan Egan, Mel sort of set up some interesting sort of global snapshots there. Uh, what are you seeing in APAC Australia and the rest of the region in terms of that market as sentiment on budgets and how they're feeling for 2024? And welcome. Thanks, Paul and Mel. Great to be here with you both today. From an Asia-Pacific perspective, we're really seeing the optimism that Mel talked about, but also some concern around the markets and the macroeconomic environment that we're all in. Uh, We did see over the last couple of years, particularly in the COVID years, the race to buy and implement technology. And by and large, that gold rush is now quietening down. And we're seeing really organizations, how they can really double down on the customer experience. And really, we look at this like experience-led growth. What is the experience you're giving to your customer? How are your customers engaging with your brand? Whether it's calling customer support on your website, or maybe it's an email that uh, you're sending to them. So I think, you know, overall, I I would say it's optimistic going into 2024. The other highlight I'll add, Paul, is we did last year Future of Digital Experiences report in 2023, and marketers vastly overestimate the quality of their customer experience. In fact, 85% of marketers said they're amazing, while 35% of consumers say they really have a memorable experience. So I think as marketers and this, this B2B opportunity for us is to really think about that experience and put ourselves in the shoes of the customer. And, and really, you know, to define what this means is companies must know their customers on a deep level, analyze the data, the customer experience, unify and orchestrate the omni-channel journeys to determine the next best action at each crucial moment. So Duncan, you are yourself obviously a B2B marketer, but Adobe has a stack of B2C customers. And so I'm just interested in, you know, in the conversations you're having across the region as to whether you're detecting anything different in the sentiment or outlook between what the consumer economy is looking like, i.e. some of your customers versus the B2B economy. And you've got to behave like a B2B marketer, but deal with B2C companies. Yeah, we're in a pretty unique and special environment, Adobe is. I believe that customers' expectations don't change, whether it's B2B or B2C. I think they are used to a less amazing experience in B2B, right? Because yeah. uh, the B2B, you know, our, our model has been, hey, let's go, let's go get customers, let's go get pipeline. Uh, and I, I do believe with the amount of digital and the amount of content that is out there now, the big opportunity for the B2B companies is to think like, a B2C company. Really quick snapshot on that. What's different? I think it's the tech stack. You know, we, we, when we talk to a lot of companies and it's, what did we do? Did we solve a point problem or are we looking to the future on how we engage with our customer, right? So we have customers obviously that we work with that are in many different places on that digital transformation journey that we're all on and we're always on. And I think the difference this year, like I said, the the technology implementation of an, an adoption around COVID and then the value realization coming into next year, the value realization of being able to do personalization at scale, being able to target an individual or group of people 
and understand their buying behaviors, understand where they are on the journey, understanding their needs and wants, much like a B2C company would do. That, to mm. me, is the opportunity and also what's different going into next year. It's interesting you say that, Duncan. Um, late last year, we had um, one of the ANZ marketers on talking about um, exactly what you're saying, moving actually the bank's marketing capabilities from personalization actually to anticipation. So try to see the signals before you even get to the personalization round, really. So it's very interesting. What about you? I'm going to put you on the spot here, Duncan. B2B marketer, APAC. Your budgets. I'm not going to ask him what what they are, although I could try. But are you are you holding, or where is the direction? Directionally, where are you headed? Yeah. So the last couple of years, we've been holding. The sales growth number numbers have been going up, and what it has uh, meant for us is the ruthless prioritization of the business outcomes, which which I think is a good thing, right? It really makes us scrutinize every line item and what are we trying to achieve, and does that ladder up to our goals. So, you know, do we have enough budget? And as all marketers will say, no, but the budget we have, we're going to make work and we're going to drive to our goals. And I'll say from a marketing perspective in 2023, last year, uh, we were able to achieve most of our key goals. Uh, If we hit them all, I would say our goals weren't aspirational enough. But I think when you look at the pipeline, the funnel metrics, we were able to really achieve because of our focus on the outcomes that we were going after. Well, Mel, it's a good segue really into the broader conversation around uh, what you're seeing in your customer science area at LinkedIn uh, and the B2B Institute. Um, what are some of those key themes that are coming through for B2B marketers um, in, in your conversations, the macro stuff on B2B marketing science? And I think you talk about a bit of a renaissance in B2B with the C-suite, which sort of fits quite nicely with what Duncan's talking about. Just that some of the key themes, Mel. Yeah, thanks, Paul, and great to hear what you're seeing, Duncan. Um, so by way of context, my organization works directly with customers and industry partners. And so uh, as you mentioned, Paul, we are seeing this renaissance in B2B right now. And there's really three interesting trends that we're seeing that I think are relevant to this conversation. The first one is around the evolution of the marketing organization and the CMO. Uh, the second is around greater investment in long-term brand building. And then the third really is around this idea of going all in on creativity in B2B. So I'll start by sharing uh, how we see the marketing org and the role of the CMO evolving. What we're actually seeing is that marketing is increasingly being seen by the C-suite as a strategic driver for the business and importantly, uh, central to business growth. So CMOs are increasingly on the hook for delivering value to customers, building demand for products, communicating value to stakeholders, and ultimately helping to build the trust that underpins all of this. So it's a fairly significant shift. And our research shows that nearly half of CMOs and CFOs believe that the CMO role has now evolved to have a more direct role in driving revenue and growth. So we see that also reflected on our platform with the growth in titles like Chief Revenue Officer and Chief Growth Officer, all indicating just how critical marketing skills are now to the bottom line. So that's one of the big trends we're seeing. The second is all around... Just on that though, Mel, can I I interrupt you for a sec? What is different then about what you just said? What is different about the CMO remit with that that broadening C-suite play? What were they doing before that didn't have them there? Yeah, I think uh, traditionally we've seen the CMO role have such an important role in uh, comms, messaging, sharing the brand story, and of course, being a customer champion. But some of the areas that have evolved really into that business leadership space, right? Growth drivers, capability development is some of the new areas. And because of that, we're actually seeing that CMOs are becoming more financially fluent. 
right? And our right. research shows that 83% say that they've actually learned the language of finance specifically to bolster their business acumen, uh, their business acumen and to ensure that they can communicate marketing impact on the bottom line, which is really what Duncan is referring to, this idea of marketing for business outcomes. And how prevailing is that, those commercial sensibilities, if you like, um, Mel? Yeah, I mean, we see it in a couple of different ways. Certainly, we're seeing CMOs themselves investing in their own journey. Uh, that's a pretty high stat with 83% investing in this space specifically. But other areas and indicators we see are when we look at some of our jobs data. And so one of the things that we're seeing is that one of the most in-demand roles and positions are actually in the spaces of brand sales and growth-focused roles. And so this is a, a change and a shift that we're seeing in terms of investment areas to be these uh, business leaders in marketing. Well, it moves into, I think, you, your second point, which is brand investment. Talk us through what's happening there. You're seeing quite a bit of action by the sounds of it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Paul, one of the things we see is actually a greater, a greater focus on brand building and a broadening mix of spend across a full funnel strategy. So in our research, we see that globally six in 10 B2B marketing leaders say that their C-suite has actually increased the importance of brand building. And that's specifically in light of the economic conditions because they see this as an avenue to win share. We also see that reflected in uh, the way that companies are investing in different skills right, and different roles, including things like influencer marketing specialists and growth and things like brand marketing consultant. Right. And that's all in a B2B context, right? Yes, that's right. Mel, just before we move on, because I think creative was your third point, you talk about the sort of the commercial capabilities of, of CMOs up waiting. How do you see or what is the relationship at the moment between um, the CMO and the CFO at a B2B level? What are your observations there? Are they getting friendlier? We really believe that the CMO and CFO can be a really compelling dynamic duo. And a lot of that really uh, hinges on the ability to translate marketing into business outcomes and ensure that CMOs and CFOs can speak the same language. And so we're seeing that that partnership is becoming tighter. I believe there's a long way still to go in that space, but I believe that that's important for marketeers to prove the value of not just marketing, but also why brand building is important to long-term cash flows. So that's a super important uh, trend that we're seeing as uh, CMOs are starting to talk in that language of the CFO. Which is exactly your point, right? So not maybe less about brand metrics and more about, to your point, future demand, creating future demand, cash flow. That's all the sort of language shifts that you're talking about, Mel, that's happening in the marketing office. Yeah, that's exactly it. We think that B2B marketers can really embrace that full funnel approach actually across their investments, but also across their measurement, right? Because this is really where it's important for CMOs to talk in the lens of business outcomes. And so that's a super important part of this. As you mentioned, Paul, it's about future cash flows. It's also about talking about the impact of marketing on acquisition, on retention, uh, and importantly, how it correlates to sales. Yes. And that's the, the grand measurement can of worms, isn't it? And I, we, we may see uh, hear from you a little bit later on and how some are solving for that, because that is probably the uh, the universal quest, isn't it? Branding also, though, Mal, you talk about this shift to branding from B2B companies. It's still a hard sell, though, isn't it, in some areas? Um, B2B being kind of so sales and transactional-led, is there pushback in part? And where are the pockets of, of uh, receptivity for that brand argument? Is it by sector or by region or just by the operator? 
Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about um, with our customers is just how critical B2B branding is for growth, right? And so one of the important mental models here is to recognize that in B2B, the majority of your customers are actually not in the market at any given time. And so some of our research from the B2B Institute actually reveals that 95% of your potential B2B buyers aren't ready to buy today. So it's pretty significant. And this goes into how to tell the story about the importance of branding and really where we're starting to see the shift in investments where CMOs acknowledge um, and better understand this uh, guiding mental model. So what we um, acknowledge is that those 95% of buyers are actually out of market, but they will be in the market in the future. And this isn't just the theory. We did some research with the Ehrenberg Bass Institute uh, on how B2B brands grow. And by way of example, we found that 75% of companies buy computers every four years and 80% of companies change banking services every five years. So just to illustrate, most of the time, most buyers are not ready to buy today. And that means you absolutely have to prime them from when they're ready to buy sometime in the future. And the most effective way to do that is to build memories that activate when they buy when they enter the market for a solution in the future. And that is why B2B branding is so important. And that's what um, you and the Ehrenberg Bass Institute came up with, this, this notion of the 95-5 rule, right, Mel? That's what this encapsulates. It's, a, it's sort of a, a broad rule. It'll, it might differ by category, but it's essentially the same argument that most B2B customers are not in market, as you say. And so that priming and that branding uh, role that you talk about, if you're 95% of your customers are out of market, that's about making sure that uh, company X is on the consideration set when they are ready to buy. This is what this is about. Is that right? That's correct, right? Because for those 95% of your buyers, your future as a business actually relies on your ability for them to remember your brand, right? When they mm. are entering the market, because really simply the brand that is remembered is the brand that gets bought. It's not a terribly crazy concept, is it? And in fact, if anything, it's quite logical uh, and rational, but it's sort of is it opposite to how many B2B companies actually operate in market, though? It's the opposite, really. They're in market chasing that 5%, not necessarily the 95%. Is that part of the dilemma here? Yeah, that's right. Certainly what we have seen for quite some time with traditional B2B marketing is that there tends to be a bias towards short-term metrics and short-term behavior uh, and activation, specifically around lead generation activities. And so this really requires B2B marketeers and marketing organizations to uh, really employ a long and short approach to not just uh, going after the 5% of your buyers through lead generation activities today, but actually taking a more balanced approach to go after the 95% of future buyers by leveraging full funnel and a top of the funnel brand building approach. Yeah, the difficulty there is that you have to wait a bit, don't you? Um, that can be a bit of a tough one. Um, Duncan, what's your thoughts on on all this Um the 95.5 rule to start with, but we will might talk around the branding and some other stuff as well. But your initial thoughts on that, uh, that bias that maybe B2B has? Yeah, I mean, I, I fully subscribe to the 95.5, but I do think a lot of B2B companies, when they set their metrics and goals, are thinking about the 95, right? We're, we are all very, you know, sales is typically quarterly driven. Uh, therefore, you set up your goals, you set up your metrics really to go drive AQLs through the marketing funnel and, and, and eventually sales qualified opportunities. I do think that there's a world that we're moving into and, and some companies are further on this journey around quality, not volume, 
right? And and when we look at the data from our own funnel, we know that the the, the companies that are engaged, the ones that are actively participating with us during this journey are much more likely to uh, turn into something positive as opposed to the bulk of people that we engage with are just not ready to buy. But there mm-hmm. is a big incentive for, for, for us and for other companies to, well, we have someone in the pipeline, we have a company, there's a big deal. And you know, as we all know, many of those don't ever come to fruition. So I do think that the 95-5 rule holds true. And then also on the branding side, I, I completely agree. I think the opportunity, particularly in a fit, relatively tough economy, to get your brand out there has a massive impact. I heard a stat recently where globally on all media, only 11% of content actually gets cut through, right? Mm. So you think about that and you think about, one, the amount of content that is out there and then how much of it is actually landing but I would also say, you know, if you're not in the game, you're not in the game, right? So mm-hmm. I think the opportunity for B2B marketers to get out there, we've done some what we call brand to demand, because I do think part of our legacy in B2B, like Mel called out, is we're very good at tracking a dollar to pipeline to bookings, the funnel metrics through to sales, the handoff, you know, what is our conversion rates? Very, very good at that. And then if I was to go to the, the CFO or the CEO and say, hey, I want some money for branding. Why would they give me money? They know if they give me a dollar, they're going to get $8 in pipeline and they're going to get $3 in bookings or whatever your conversion rates are. So the opportunity for us as marketers to really talk and educate around the long-term commitment to the branding and awareness and that pull down into demand gen, because it will, right? Mm -hmm. So that will help the overall demand gen, but it's that opportunity for us as marketers, as CMOs to put the data-driven approach tied to the brand so that we can have that impact that we're all desperately looking for. It's hard to land that brand though, isn't it sometimes, Duncan, with the CFOs and the C-suite sometimes because it can seem a little bit sort of fuzzy and airy-fairy. I think you talk about maybe redefining brand as category awareness as opposed to brand awareness just to try and move the needle with your colleagues in in other areas of uh, of the business. Correct. Adobe has a very unique challenge our brand awareness is off the charts. I think we're number 17 in the highest valued brands globally. But people don't know, know us as the customer experience company. They know us as Photoshop. They know us as Acrobat. So our opportunity, particularly in the enterprise B2B side, is to really educate at a category awareness level. We sell products across the entire funnel from websites to analytics to journey orchestration to targeting. And it's very sophisticated and it allows companies B2C and B2B do things that five, six years ago weren't able to do. So I I do think from an Adobe perspective and our executive team do understand that it is a thoughtful approach that we will take to our digital experience branding and it will be hopefully sustained. This is a conversations that we're having now over time to really get the message out. And obviously North America, our brand is better. EMEA, it's not quite as good. And then Asia Pacific, it's even less aware, particularly from the customer experience side. So we would look at, you know, key markets for us, do some pilots and drive that awareness, category awareness, again, branding versus category or solution awareness. They're all doing a positive thing, which is, as Mel called out, educating our either short-term or future buyers around the value that Adobe digital experience can bring to them. 
Just really quickly, Duncan, in terms of the the pilots you talk about, have you done some in APAC or Japan and, and have you been able to hold it? What's been the learnings? Yeah, so the, we have is the answer, Paul. And we ran what we called brand to demand campaigns. So they were full funnel awareness through to demand gen. And we target subsets of customers so that we could see that people were engaging with the brand level message, going to our website, poking around in a good way, learning, educating themselves. And that's exactly what you want them to do. And then also engaging with, you know, here is a webinar on analytics because we noticed that they were in the analytics section of our website. So by tying those two together gives us one credibility with the E-team that we are leveraging the expertise we have in the data perspective of our customers, our funnels, and what we're doing, and then being able to link that through our web and our engagement with our customers um, through to, from an awareness perspective has really given us the credibility to, one, do these pilots and give tangible data on the impact that it's had, and also has set us up very well going into this year around what we're going to be doing and how we're going to be expanding that. Now, where the rubber hits the road is how much are we going to dedicate to it? And that is where people get a little more sensitive because, hey, you're now taking my pipeline budget away and you're putting it to brand. Our opportunity is, no, you're actually going to increase the impact in the long term with our customers or potential customers because they will understand the value we bring to them. And I think a lot of B2B companies are thinking the same way around. If I can not have to explain what we do, we are four steps down that road to having a productive conversation. Mel, who's doing it well around brand that you can see from um, your high tower in New York? (laughs) Yeah, lots of great stuff happening in this space. As I say, there's a lot more investment in this space, a lot more uh, understanding of the importance of brand building. There's a couple that come to my mind. Uh, The first one I'd share is MYOB. This is a business management accounting platform, and LinkedIn was an important pillar in their brand repositioning strategy, which is something that they launched earlier this year. Uh, the goal really was to reshape how businesses of all sizes across ANZ perceive their brand, which is a 30-year-old brand, uh, and in turn become the leading name in end-to-end business management software. So they launched this fantastic campaign called the MYO Believe campaign. It's just a really great example of how B2B brands can deploy compelling creative and get away from the shackles of what we traditionally see in B2B creative, which is more product-led feature-based and rational messaging. So they shifted so there's from no that- call to action, that stuff in the MYOB stuff then, Mel, no call to action at all. Well, this is certainly more of a uh, human-centered and emotionally-led uh, campaign. They actually mm. used uh, some hyper-creative, wacky videos that really break down the complexity of their products. Uh, and actually, we really believe that their new content strategy shows a lot of ingenuity and creativity through it. Right, not not the vanilla, uh, the ten percent or the ninety percent vanilla that uh, Duncan talked about <laughs> earlier with content. Right, anyone else, Mel, on on that front? That's that's sort of doing the brand job. Yeah, well, um, thanks, Paul. I mean, it's only fair that I, I try to plug ourselves here as a chance to show that we believe it's important to drink our own champagne on best practices here. So uh, we just okay, uh, I'll indulge you. Uh, we just launched our latest brand campaign. It's called No One Knows What You Do. Uh, the campaign really highlights that if you're a B2B marketeer, it feels like no one knows what you do. Your parents, your loved ones, your friends really don't get it. 
But while uh, not Maybe everyone boss. gets B2B, LinkedIn <laughs> has the decision-making we do, right, and the tools that can help you reach them. So, look, it's a, it's a departure for us. It's a tongue-in-cheek advertising campaign baked around emotion that we believe is so important in advertising for B2B. Um, it's like we did in partnership with Ryan Reynolds' agency, Maximum Effort. We're really proud of it. How is Ryan, Mel? <laughs> Uh, that wasn't- is he as good or is his, is his business as good? Because he's got a, quite a significant ad business, right? He does, he's essentially an agency. He certainly does. We're really uh, excited about the partnership and continuing it even further. Unfortunately, one of the perks of my job was not to get a chance to actually meet Ryan. Right. Um, no, I'd be disappointed if I was you. So um, apologies, <laughs> uh, mostly. Hey, it does feed into, though, the other sort of key theme that you said um, is driving a lot of B2B marketing at the moment, which is creative. And it's a big agenda item for the B2B Institute and and sounds like LinkedIn as well. I think you cited a number in one of your studies, Mel, that said creative is actually about 60% of the impact of, of a message or thereabouts. And if it's not, certainly in some of the econometric stuff that I've seen in advertising, it's the 50%, 60% is not, you know, that's it, kind of in the in the, the standard fare there. So essentially what it says is creative is getting overlooked with such impact. Yeah, I mean, thanks for calling it out for, I think, regardless of what that magic number is, there's actually a lot of studies that uh, identify that creative actually accounts for upwards of over a half of campaign effectiveness, right? And an important thing that we look at is uh, the impact of great creative in terms of what it can generate for sales. And we see in some studies that it can generate 10 to 20% more sales compared to poor creative. So we really believe that in B2B, this is where the opportunity lies because great creative is the single most powerful way to improve your advertising returns, right? And one of the things I guess we would share is that great creative is not just about memorability. It's actually a compelling business investment. If you think about it, while media investments are key, once you spend your media budget, it's simply gone. Whereas with great creative, it's a more durable investment. It can be used and reused, ultimately extending the life of your credit creative assets and it can generate long lasting growth who's doing that well mel you've seen some good examples there yeah i am one of our customers is canva they're a graphic design platform Uh, they use highly compelling and visual language on the platform and what i love is they use storytelling right and they do that through short simple to understand videos that show how they help customers resolve a pain point if you look at some of the videos it's really about teams brainstorming or designing social posts from anywhere in the world. So they show how teams can wow the crowds with amazing presentations. And they do this by using short form videos, which is fantastic. Another customer is MailChimp. They're a marketing automation and email platform company. Their campaigns are always highly recognizable, right? And that makes them super memorable. They use a lot of eye-catching imagery and they try something bold and unexpected. So they're really great at using a bold color palette, strong copy, and importantly, marrying that with social proof points. So that really helps the ads stand out. Do you know any get any sense on the results of, from these efforts or the internal um, tussle that's gone on from perhaps the marketing team convincing the team further up that this is a good thing and, and hold the line, it'll come? Yeah, I'd love to share what we're seeing kind of broadly from our research into uh, effective creative and the, and the business impact. So one thing I've observed more broadly is this idea of the growing belief in the use of creative and emotion and B2B advertising. And I actually think a lot of that has been driven by this growing body of evidence that emotional advertising and B2B really does work. So 
from our point of view, our data shows that brands that harness emotion in their ads acquire on average 198 times more followers than other companies on LinkedIn, right? And this is just one other mm. data point to illustrate that creative that resonates emotionally with your target audience will boost the results of your campaigns. Um, but what's really great to, uh, to see and be able to share with our customers is that emotion also impacts the lower funnel. Right. So brands that elicit emotion with their ads have a 44% higher average click-through rate compared to the rest of companies on LinkedIn. So we really mm. believe that emotional creative can drive growth in the lower funnel and is very much worth the investment. Well, it's ironic really to have emotion would be to be human, I think. So maybe there's something in that. <laughs> so Mel, take the point on emotion and creativity mm. and it seems pretty logical, but then why is so much B2B so vanilla? Why is it rational and vanilla? We've had the conversation about it being lower funnel, but is this research really only just starting to permeate B2B marketers and understand how they actually apply it? Yeah, I think that's it actually, Paul. I think there's been a dearth of research for many years around B2B. And so there's a growing body of evidence around the importance of behavioral uh, economics, behavioral science, uh, and understanding behaviors. And you're right. When we think about B2B and creative, what we've traditionally seen as creative that is way more focused on rational messaging and product features, right? We're definitely seeing a shift here, and that's really good news. But more than anything, I'd call out that this is where the biggest opportunity is. And I think there's been a, a belief for many years that B2B decision makers or B2B buyers think about our purchases in very rational ways. Whereas if you think about it, if you're making a B2B purchase decision, it actually will probably require even more emotion than a B2C purchase that you're making for yourself. Because if you're actually making it on behalf of your company, your employees, it'll be a product that your stakeholders uh, assess, right? And that your mm. employees and colleagues will use and leverage. And so it requires even more emotional investment in B2B. And that's really it's, where it's the reputational as well, isn't it? There's reputation there and that's that there are intangibles. Duncan, how does the um how does that creative argument sit with you and the research? I know obviously Adobe's uh, you know roots are in a very creative uh, space, comes from a very creative um, area. How do you think the creative um, debate is going in B two B generally, at least in APAC in Australia? I think again, there's there's opportunities for us across the funnel. Uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, if you are doing branding, that gets the bulk of. Uh, internal attention and you see your billboard and you pat yourself on the back. But if you think about the volume of work that we as B2B marketers do, whether it's webinars, emails, white papers, uh, you name it, there's a lot of creative and quite frankly, content that needs to be delivered in an impactful way. So I think from a creativity perspective, the game-changing thing around creativity to me is around generative AI. Uh, and you may be aware, Paul and Mel, last year, Adobe launched Adobe Firefly, which is a, a generative AI prompt-based. I can type in, show me a cat in a spacesuit suit on the moon, and it will, show, it will create images of, of what I've just asked it to do based on Adobe stock, so it's commercially viable. My point around this is, is twofold. One is myself, I am now much more comfortable being a creative. Uh, now, there are agencies that we use for our advertising, but when I want to create something for a presentation or talk to the team about, I now have at, literally at my fingertips the ability to create high-level artwork to help 
what I'm doing as an individual or my organization. The second thing that we're seeing is the opportunity of the role of the marketer to expand. If I now am able to create things, I can also look at templates around advertisements and how using generative AI, I can resize them automatically or generative AI will. I can translate them automatically. I can place them in the ad network automatically. And we're getting to the point where we're going to see what we call conversational AI throughout products. And what I mean by that is if I go into Adobe Analytics and I am not a business analyst, I do love my numbers, there's only so much that I can get out of it. We see a future very near term where the product will be helping me understand the opportunities or the insights, whether it's data or performance or uh, orchestration. And what I mean by that is if I'm going in and, and creating a segment and a headline and I've got the creative, our conversational gen AI can tell me, hey, with this headline, you're going to get a 2% better conversion rate. With this graphic, you're going to get a X percent better return on what you're doing. So I think the age of creativity that we're all in now and the future is really exciting for us as B2B marketers because of generative AI and what we're all able to do at our fingertips. Well, I reckon it's, you know, in, in 12 months time, it's, we should put these machines to the test, uh, Duncan, and see whether they upweight creative uh, executions, more creative executions. We'll see whether the machines appreciate the creativity or they've got to go through the B2B Institute to get some lessons or something. But hey, Mel, how does the AI, the AI discussion and application, we've heard from Duncan on, at Adobe, what's happening at LinkedIn in, in terms of your, what's the impact that's, that it's happening? Yeah, thanks. That it's having, um, I should say. Yeah, I mean, look, there's lots of excitement around the potential it can bring to the advertising and marketing sector, no doubt. Um, I'm certainly excited for the future. What we are seeing in our own research is there's strong appetite to use GAI, as Duncan shared, to support people in their everyday work. And mostly the focus is on uh, identifying ways to reduce low-impact work so they can focus more on things like creative and strategic thinking. And so this is where we're seeing a lot of B2B leaders actually looking to invest in new technologies. Certainly our data shows that 8 in 10 are planning to increase the use of GAI in the coming year. At LinkedIn, um, AI has really been a fundamental part of our products for a very long time. And so similarly, we see a lot of opportunities to leverage it to support marketeers, similar to what Duncan has shared. Uh, we know that creating campaigns that reach and influence the right buyers is actually super challenging, right? Particularly when resources are tight. So we know it can take hours from developing creative to determining targeting, placement, and bidding activities. Uh, and so we recently launched AI-generated copy suggestions, and that was intended to make it easier for marketers to incorporate this kind of technology into their current ad creation process. It really uses GAI to help create high-performing intro texts and headlines to support uh, Is it ad working? creatives. What's happening yes. with that? Um, I'd like to see some of that, that output because, you know, I'm, I might have to look for another job. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks, Paul. We'd love to share um, and actually do a demo. You'd, I think you'd really enjoy it as someone who understands the marketing process um, mm. to see how we can actually use not just data and context, but also some of these technologies to help marketers jumpstart their campaigns. Right? And mm. this uh, really lowers the barrier of entry for many. Yeah, I can ask both of you. And Duncan, you talked about sort of the ability to lift creative standards and also free 
teams up to do less mundane. Is that happening with your team? Is that what's happening in, in, in Adobe's yeah. marketing? What's happening yeah. with your people? What are they doing differently now then? Yeah, there's a couple of t- things. So we we launched last year the idea of the content supply chain. And if, if, you know, much like manufacturing, you have to have a brief, you have to create content. It has to go through all the approvals. It has to be deployed and it has to be measured. Um, so we've, we've taken that idea and we have products that support those. One of those is Workfront, which is workflow. So Paul, if you're the creative and I'm the, the marketer and I'm waiting for you to approve something or create something, I either need to call you, I need to text you, but leveraging Workfront, we're using a single system that I can see that you're in working on it or that you've completed it and you tag me in it and I get a notification. Hey, Duncan, this has now been completed. So you're breaking down silos, which is uh, massively efficient for the organization. And at any point in time, I, as the leader or anybody can go in and see where are we with these different pieces of content or assets or campaign. So what we've seen is a massive increase of speed from creation to deployment organizationally. If someone is out of the office, it doesn't take us three days to know that that person in EMEA is out of the office. We would know immediately because we can see it in the system. The other thing that we're using, I mentioned Adobe Firefly for starting points for creative and also copy generation, which are two pieces of, like I said, expanding the role of the marketer that gets us to a starting point faster and gets us the approval process and the engagement layer much, much better. The other thing that this does is globally connect us, right? I've always at many of my companies in B2B marketing, we do awesome work in silos all around the world that nobody knows about. So by leveraging some of this technology, which we're doing, we're now able to see the abundance of wonderful work that's being done and leverage it. Uh, and understand the impact that it has because we can see that and, you know, happily borrow some great work that's been done around the world. So we are all in when it comes to creative as well as generative AI. But I would say we definitely have guardrails around it. We deploy our gen AI ethically, uh, non-biased. And also, much like LinkedIn, we've been in machine learning and AI for about the last 12 years. So it's mm. in our products and has been in our products for a long time. With the advent of ChatGPT, it has brought much more visibility and much more power and capability to what we can now do. Yeah, well, I've been into machine learning too for about a decade, but they've learned nothing from me, Duncan. I just wanted to, I wanted to ask, so the, the turnaround times um, that you talk about, those efficiencies, are we talking in the order of 20 30% for those lead time collapses? Absolutely. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Right. So that's material. Yeah. Mm. I want to finish off with a, a question to both of you really on uh, for the coming 12 months. Uh, key watchouts, takeouts, and uh, what should B2B CMOs be most mindful of uh, for this year, 2024? Duncan, to you first. Yeah, two things, I, and I, I, I semi-related. The first one is upskilling of your org to leverage the latest and greatest technology. Now, whether that's existing technology that you have and is not fully embraced, or new technology that is coming in that we all need to get across, we all need to learn, and we all need to figure out Um, how we're going to derive value, uh, whether it's efficiency or impact to the marketing that we're doing. And then the second one is, I really think as as leaders, we do need to embrace AI. We need to feel comfortable and confident with our teams because it is coming or, or arguably it's here. But think about how we want to deploy that internally from our teams. I've looked at it as first and foremost, how do I get my team more efficient, working together more seamlessly and speed to market, which is ultimately going to impact our bottom line. That, that's how I'm thinking of it. 
Duncan, when you talk about that, is it a 12-month window? How, how much time is there in that low-hanging fruit for efficiency with your team, Duncan? Is it a 12, 18 months where you, you kind of find the, the natural peak of, of efficiency out of the AI process? Yeah, I, I would say efficiency is something that I've been passionate about my entire career. I think right. we now have the technology at our doorstep to really have material impact on uh, work that is meaningful as opposed to repetitive, mundane things that we just need to do because that's mm. part of our jobs. But I think with mm. generative AI, a, a lot of running around trying to get people or, hey, have you done this yet for me? Copy creation, whatever it might be. I'm really excited and bullish on the efficiency and the impact that marketing B2B marketers can have because we're going to be doing higher quality and higher value work. Great point. Um, Mel, your final uh, thoughts, takeouts, watchouts for 24. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I think uh, as marketing gets a bigger spotlight, um, that being able to demonstrate impact on business growth is actually imperative. So that will mean uh, that leaders need to collaborate more closely with the C-suite. They need to encourage their teams to get comfortable using new tools and technologies, exactly as Duncan, Duncan is sharing. Um, and they'll need to start connecting activities to business results. So really encourage uh, marketing leaders to balance innovation, strategic foresight, and importantly, skill development, exactly as Duncan's sharing, to support organizational growth. Well, it's a great conversation to start the B2B year. Mel first, Duncan Egan, I think we should probably lock in a time to follow up at uh, the midpoint journey and see how it's all tracking. But hey, thanks for joining. Good start to um, 24 B2B. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Duncan. Thank you, Mel. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.